I think there's people who are great at executing and you people who are great at strategizing. And I think when you put people who are great at strategizing in more like executional roles, or like you limit the amount you can experiment and test around and do things out of the comfort zone, I think that's when you may be holding growth mindset mm. back. Welcome to NeoHacks Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to letting smart people talk to you about better online experiences. My guest today is one of the best people in the world to talk about growth. So if this is what you're into, keep listening to this episode. And this is another episode done as part of our partnership with Experimentation Elite. For those of you who do not know already, Experimentation Elite is the UK's premier experimentation and CRO event happening in London on December 7th. So go to experimentationelite.com and get all the information you need about this incredible event. My guest will be there, of course, talking about turning failed experiments into opportunities. She is a growth consultant, growth mentor, a well-known public speaker, author of Growing Happy Clients book and Growth Waves newsletter. She specializes in helping the best eco-friendly and wellness D2C startups grow faster. Daphne Tidman, welcome to Nomad Show. Thanks. I feel like I have a lot to live up to after that intro. I just so used the words events. growth or grow five times in that short sentence. Yeah, so yes, you do. Like... You really are all in, right? <laughs> Yeah, we just say correct 20 times. <laughs> it's amazing to have you on, on the podcast. So exactly. tell me about Experimentation Lead first, about that talk and, and what, what it will be. Yeah, I'm so excited to uh, to give that talk. Um, it's something that I started playing around with after an original talk that I did about how to basically squeeze the lemon out of experiments. And everyone just kept coming back to me about the point around failed experiments aren't bad. And it was such an eye-opener to a lot of people. I was like, you know, rather than just talking about these three principles, let's really dive in. Let's use a new analogy. Let's um, really deconstruct why we fear failure. Because it was something that I also was struggling with at times of this feeling of like, oh, am I failing? Am I doing not, am I not doing things well? Like, what did I do wrong when an experiment fails? So that's what got me started on like this idea that like, Let's change that whole idea on what failed experiments are. And let's make it more comfortable and also give really practical ways of how to then approach that like before, during, and after. And one of the other things that I really wanted to do was so many people come on stage and they're like, look at that big win. Look what we've done. It's amazing. We're so great. I was like, I'm going to go on stage and I'm going to start with, I failed at this. I failed at that. And this is exactly how I failed. And I'm just going to share that. And we're going to get all the uncomfortableness out the way. So that we get more comfortable to also talk about it and change that way of doing it. So yeah, that, that's going to be a lot of fun, I hope. <laughs> I recently talked to Michael Ogard uh, on this podcast, who's talking mm-hmm. about disappointment. Now we're talking yeah. about failures. So we're really ending 2023 on a on a sour note. <laughs> I but saw his talk that he's going to be, I think he's doing the same talk at Experimentation Elite, if I'm not mistaken. I saw it last weekend and it's absolutely incredible and um, it's taking it from like a different angle, more like the psychology of like right. almost like when a website fails customers. So I think it's kind of like fun to have those two sides of it. Like he's talking about like, when are we failing our visitors? And yep. I'm talking about like, when are we failing when we're actually doing what we're trying to do to help our customers? So you kind of get two sides of it. It's a great two for one. Exactly. So <laughs> back to you and your career, what made you decide to go into growth? So I had to find an unusual uh, path because a lot of people start growth even marketing on product. But 
for me, I'd actually studied uh, finance. I had done a, a bachelor in international business. I was like, what do I do with my life? What master do I do? Do I do finance and marketing? And I kind of let these voices in my head tell me like, no, marketing's too easy. And, you know, you're really good at numbers. You should be doing finance. And so I did that. And I was like, I hate this. I absolutely hate this. It's about 90% men in suits. Guys, people actually wore suits to lectures. Um, and all they cared about was money and banking. And I was like, eh. so I don't like that. But, and at the same time, I was doing marketing for a startup uh, student association. So trying to get uh, students or certain startups. I was like, this is a lot of fun, but I hate all kind of the brand design side of it. So I was kind of like, I don't want that, but I don't want that. Where do I go? And I always call it a bit of serendipity because I was actually too late for the event, but I signed up for an um, event and my friend was organizing it. So let me in last minute. And he actually became a client. But that's a different story. <laughs> um, and I met there a growth agency called Rock Boost and it was like, this is it. Like at the time we called it growth hacking. I don't use that word anymore because it has very bad implementing. Like it's kind of the meaning's been a bit skewed compared to what it was now then. But, um, I, came across this agency that was like explaining and I was like, well, I've got like creative side of marketing. We've got the data side, you know, yeah. it's very systematic. I was like, I get this. I love this. So I hounded the founder until they hired me as an intern and stayed there for five years going on to like league team. And yeah, that's kind of how it all started. So did you even know of the concept of growth and growth hacking back in the day before nope. you realized, okay, this is me? Nope. And Not the funny thing was like a lot of other people didn't leave us. So I had no idea how to explain my role <laughs> to other people because they're like, oh, you're a hacker? Do you like hack computers? I'm like, no. Oh. No. <laughs> and then I would like say marketing, but like I realized later on, like me calling it marketing, and this is a hole of a rabbit hole, was equating growth to marketing, which I really don't believe it is. I think like mm. growth is like a disciplined approach, just like experimentation and to uh, finding and understanding what's holding your business back. And marketing is just one of those levers. Like it's one way to approach it. But a lot of the best growth comes here from the product side. I mean, that's why everyone's in love with product like growth right now. Or it can even come from how you manage your operations. Come from, come from like pricing testing. There's so many different things that it can come from. And so, yeah, I was not familiar and no one really was. And luckily now it's more familiar. Um, but it's still, of course, quite, yeah. Still a growing term still new. definition. Yep. Still very, very new. And yeah. the way people get into growth in general, is the, the diversity of backgrounds is, yeah. is just absolutely incredible. I, I think it's good for the industry in the long run. Yeah. So your niche is eco-friendly and health yeah. D to C brands in, in growth. Like, how did that happen? How, did you just choose that or did you work with some clients and then decided, okay, this is what I want to do? Or what was it? Yeah. So after Rock Boost, I'd worked five years on the agency side and our clients were getting bigger and bigger and I was losing that kind of that passion that I had with startups. It was a lot more stakeholder management, which is at any point, you know, important, but like it was just getting more like talking endlessly about what we're doing versus doing stuff. And I was like, that doesn't really suit me. I want to go back to these smaller companies. And I also want it to be something that I believe in and stand behind. And um, like, I'm very, in my terms of my personal life, I'm very into nutrition. I'm like a certified chef. I do a lot of like, um, things like marathons and those kind of things. Like I love like that side of it. And I was like, well, and I'm also very passionate about like, Hey, I want things to be good for the environment. I want things to have positive impact. I don't want to grow for the sake of growing, if that makes sense. Like just to sprint consumerism. It's one of the reasons I hate Black Friday with kind of escape from it, but. <laughs> 
yeah, it's uh, it's not great. Um, but yeah, so I like joined Heights, uh, a um, brain care company that had a brain supplement that really matched that kind of that niche that I hadn't defined yet at the time. And they were also B Corp, which is just a sign, like a certification that they sustainable for those who don't know it. And um, and I was like, well, I really love that. And so when I left left Heights eventually because I missed a bit the variation I had before, I was like, well. I want to still keep that. I want it to either be good for the planet or good for people. And that's how I got into that. And I always say to people who sometimes struggle with growth because it is quite broad, like you can also niche down in terms of like the industry you're working on. Because now, because I see so many of those companies, I know what benchmarks look like. I know what kind of things consumers are considering because a lot of them have overlapping audience. So it definitely like helps narrow it down in that way. So yeah, that's how it kind of started. And like, try to be really strict about it um, because it's, yeah, it's what I also love to do and they're the kind of companies that excite me and I use myself. Like I use like most of my clients' products because I just, is, yeah, it's what I'm passionate that, about. That's very nice. And to someone in growth, a consultant, would you recommend niching down or it just be as general as possible? I would say it depends on you. Like mm. I think there's like an over-focus on like, oh, you have to be a specialist. I don't think that's true. I think my like, superpower for businesses is often that I am not specialized and that I can look like broader and figure out like, okay, what's happening on all these different sides? Where should we actually focus? Which I couldn't do if I was a specialist. Um, at the same time, if you want to specialize, that's also okay. I just always try to highlight that there's different ways to specialize. It can be a certain area. It can be a certain approach, like how you work with it, certain stage of businesses. Um, because a lot of people feel like, oh no, like it was CRO too. It's like, oh, I have to be specialized in one area of it. And I'm like, that's, that's not true. Like there's so many great things to do. And we need generalists too, just like we need specialists. That's a very, very good point. So uh, let's talk about growth mentor briefly and, and your experience being a mentor there. Uh, could you explain what it's about, how it works, why someone should sign up? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think I signed up like two, three years ago. Been a while <laughs> And I still do, don't I? I've got a few planned next week um, as well. And what, what Growth Mentor is, is an opportunity for people who can maybe not afford like a full-time like advisor or like a part-time advisor because, you know, they, they do tend to be more expensive based on the experience to get support and also from multiple different people. So it's not about going deep with one person, but just having a support system around you for your challenges. And so I started as a mentee. Um, mentee, I think at the time, and was just like this is really valuable. This is really helpful. And um, my company had paid for it. I'm talking to so all these incredible people, and you know, I then even had like someone who I was getting a mentee uh, call from, like saying, "Would you mentor me?" And I was like, "Okay, yeah. <laughs> we wow. can do that." And um, and then I was like, "Well, let me also give back because I, you know, obviously I have to charge for my services. I can't help everyone for free because that doesn't work either." Uh, but I wanted to like give back part of my time to people who wouldn't be able to afford it. And so I really like it for that reason. That's why I was so stuck with it. Like, you know, it, it's a great way for people to get very affordable advice from different people. So yeah, that's it in a nutshell. That, that is very nice of you that, that you're basically giving away your time to help someone who's getting started. Back to your domain topic, your, mm-hmm. your experimentation elite yeah. uh, presentation. And you mentioned it, but I have it in my notes as well. Growth experiments are like lemons. I yeah. like that a lot. I really like that a lot. So, <laughs> so basically the concept is if this first squeeze is a dud, you should continue and you know expect something else in the future. 
let's talk about the growth mentality yeah. in general. Like, of course, it's necessary if you want to, to yeah. make your big, big business larger. But why do a lot of brands not have that growth mentality? What's stopping them? Yeah. So I would say like it's, you know, a growth mindset is a, as much an individual as a company thing. Mm. So I think there's certain companies where there's a culture when things go wrong that they point fingers. And so that's the company side of it. It's like, what are actually our values and how do we handle it when things go wrong? And I've actually realized like there's been cases where I felt like, you know, I wasn't as much a match in the end for a, a client I was advising and I was really analyzing what what was that feeling that I was getting? And I was like, it's when it goes wrong. It's when, because like, I'm not a magic genie who grows every single company I work with. It's sadly not the truth. But it was like when things would go not as well, or not as quickly as they'd hope, how would they react? And I think that has a ripple effect through all of it. And I'm my partner, he's um, a developer at a, uh, a tech startup. And I love when he tells me about when things haven't gone right, because rather than saying, Whose fault is this? Which I've sadly had a lot of companies I've worked with. You know, yeah. who's to blame? Mm. His um, boss doesn't says, I don't need to know who's behind it or, you know, what, what that is. I just want to understand, like, how can we make sure that we fix this and how can moving forward we prevent this from happening again? So I think that's really the company side of it. And then the individual, and that trickles down to the individuals involved. And then with the individuals involved in that side of it, I think it's about also like this, um, which zone are you working in? So I, I've done some workshops around growth mindset because I think it's a fascinating topic. And, um, when I give a workshop, I always try to explain like, you know, there isn't just comfort zone and not comfort zone. There's like lots of layers in between. Like we've got a comfort zone, we've got like our opportunities, um, zone, our learning zone, and then we've got a panic zone. And so I think a lot of the time when people lose their growth mindset, because they don't want to have growth mindset, because they're in a panic zone, because everything feels new, everything feels scary, and they flinch up and they just react. And I think understanding like, well, first of all, maybe this whole thing isn't in your panic zone. It just feels that way, which parts are actually zone and whatnot. But also just like being able to take that step back and get back into like, hey, okay, this is something new. This is something scary. How do I build up things in my comfort zone? And have more things there as well so that I feel less scared when I'm in my panic zone and I don't lose my growth mindset. And um, we can go way more into depth in this, but these are kind of like the main thoughts that I've had right. about it um, over time. Excellent. But from a company perspective, yeah. adopting the mindset, does it start with the individuals they hire or does it start from the management and then just, you know, they say you need to adopt a growth mindset or else? Which isn't, by definition, isn't really growth mindset. No, no. I I would say it definitely starts up down. Mm. Like, you know, if the founders or the managers don't have that mindset, no one's going to have that. Because like I said, like, it's like a learning process that we have. Just like with an experiment. Like, if we know that every time we make a mistake, we're going to have fingers pointing. We're going to be scared to make mistakes. We're going to be scared to take risks. And we're going to do things in our comfort zone because it's scary. Or we're going to cover our asses, which is not a healthy thing either. Because I always say, if you're moving fast, things are going to break. And rather than like, you know, stressing out about it, accept it. But also see like, well, what processes can we get in place? So I think like the highest level and the level underneath that plays such a key role in that. And then in terms of hiring, 
I definitely think then also not just having it, it's not enough to just have in your values. During the interview, trying to spot signs of a growth mindset. So one of my favorite things to do is when I, I always do an uh, assignment whenever I'm helping a company hire or hiring myself. And I do tend to do it live because I just prefer to also like be able to see like, you know, what can they do versus mm-hmm. how much help can they get to work this out? Um, and at the end of it, I go for it and I share everything that I thought was great about it. I share everything that I feel like, Hey, you know, these were potentially opportunities. This is something that you didn't look at. And I just watch their face and I watch their reaction, but I also like see what questions do they ask me? Are they trying to justify themselves and excuse themselves or are they like, curious are they excited to learn and that's for me being a really good test and growth mindset among other questions uh, would you say that let's call it undetected growth mindset is common in companies and that employees are not being used the best way they can be oh that's a good question so do you mean that like that people might actually have growth mindset but they're not using it because but their roles or their tasks are just yes yes yeah so i think that's definitely like um if, if you've got a very like, and again, like, I don't think it's bad to just have an executional role. I think there's people who, you need people who are great at executing, you need people who are great at strategizing. And I think when you put people who are great at strategizing in more like executional roles, or like you limit the amount you can experiment and test around and do things out of the comfort zone, I think that's when you may be holding growth mindset mm-hmm. back. Like when it's like, we always do things this way, so we're doing this, or these are the focus areas versus like, getting different people involved and like, well, are we focusing on the right things? Is this the right approach? What would the opposite look like? And just asking those critical questions because I think very often it's, we can get into business as usual, which is a horrible term in itself, but like just, you know, continue, continue, continue um, because we know what our plan is and we do it, but that's when we're underutilizing that kind of like exploration of the growth mindset and that ability to test. So like getting out of that BAU mode and like, exploring that more and opening that conversation I think allows you to leverage it more. But I couldn't agree more. So talking about growth experiments and, and yeah. how to make sure they're always used for actually enabling growth and, and not as just failures, what should be done before, during and after experiments to make yeah. sure they're not wasted? Might be giving away my whole talk now, by the way. <laughs> uh, no, please don't. Please yeah. don't. Uh, give away as much as you're comfortable with because people need to go <laughs> I mean, to I've always had but I think, like, you know. Let's not. Uh, let, okay. It wouldn't be very long if I give away uh, everything. And let me, let me couple one. I would say, like, first of all, focus on before. Mm-hmm. Focus on before you even run the experiment because that's where it most often goes wrong. We often think, like, it afterwards, but we run the experiment and it fails and we're like, you know, that's, that's the missed opportunity. And there is a lot we could be doing different after enduring and I'll cover that all in the talk. But I would say before, one of the key things, and I'll explain more depth on how to do this in the talk is like, um, making your broader test. So a lot of people, they go straight into like experiments and it's all like individual experiments. And if they're a little bit more advanced, they might have themes. But what I really encourage doing to set yourself up for success is having a broader plan of like, you know, what exactly are you testing? What does success look like? Um, how long are you going to be testing for? What are the resources available to do that? And what are all the different ways that you could be testing? Because then by also having listed all the different ways and, you know, define these things, when something fails, you don't want to run. You're like, no, we're testing this area for a month. 
you know, this is the first way we thought of testing it, but we have a whole list of other things within this. Uh, we've learned this, 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 you know, these are our KPIs for success. And you don't like try to mold the like, want to change direction and panic. And it also makes your stakeholders more comfortable because you've agreed, hey, all the research behind it has shown this. This is like why we think we should test around this. This is the issue. Like, let's say we feel like we're not building enough trust on the website. There's different ways we could do this based on our audience. We could be adding more like, you know, features in different places. We could be bringing reviews more up. Like there's a million different ways. If one doesn't work, we're still going to keep with our test plan to test a bit further. And that doesn't mean we endlessly test it if it's not working, but more like we give it a chance. We don't just do one test. So I would say that's one key thing. Right. To make that familiar more comfortable, but also um, make sure that, you know, you don't lose track of things when it doesn't go right. And let's not reveal anything else from the talk because <laughs> people need to go there and see. I have another question for you though. So growth uh, consultancy and, and, and advisory, yeah. it requires you to do many things well, and I would yeah. say even more things well enough. Yeah. Because you really need to know a lot of different things. So what is the one thing that over, after all these years, you're still not good enough at, that you would say? So there's a lot of things I'm not good enough at, um, and there's a lot of things that choose not to be good enough at. That's so, a very good answer, yes. <laughs> I am very picky with my clients, am I the right? So if I feel like they're looking for a specialist because they've got one area, I say go to them, go mm. to that person. I would say like another area where it often gets confused with growth is more the brand side. Like how do we build a brand awareness channels? How do we build, um, build a brand and have a relationship with the customer? And whilst I do believe that like that building of the relationship and the retention work is really like makes sense, that part of the growth side of it, because it is very data driven. That earlier stage, it's not something that I'm good at. It's a very different skill set. You need to be very creative. You're focusing on different KPIs. It's harder to measure. I'm not saying you can't measure it, but I'm just saying it is harder to measure. And those aren't skills that I'm good at. And for a long time, especially in my first like head of growth role, I was like, oh, I should be good at that. I was trying to learn it all. But I just realized like it's not, not my superpower. It's not what I'm great at. And so I also, and I also realized it was terrible to use the same process and i've done talks about this too actually um the because it just holds brand bags so that's definitely another area i'd say i'm still not good at and i do believe it's important to understand the basics and i do try to keep myself up to date with that but i'm also choosing not to become a specialist in that I and love i was that like talk because i just I don't okay use <laughs> choosing not to be good at something i, I love that answer i, I think that probably is the way to go because you need to draw the line at some point. You mentioned running and yeah. I cannot not ask a follow-up question because okay. I, I do that as well. So how does running and growth, like is that connected in your mind at all? Yeah, I've actually done a few posts about it just because I, um, I always like whenever I'm running, I come up with these analogies and I'm like, yep. oh, this is interesting. And so first of all, I fail running. I fail often and um, I did not run my second marathon because I got tendonitis. Oh. I did not run a half marathon a few years ago because I um, got shin splits. All of this is caused by the same injury of falling off a climbing wall five years ago. Um, it's great. It keeps coming back. It is back right now whilst oh. I'm training again. Uh, not as bad, luckily. But um, so I think like there's definitely that mindset of like things not working. So that's where I also connect like it with like, hey, 
you fail at running at times because not everyone's going to be a PB. Not everyone's going to be faster. And the other thing with running and also with triathlons is if you go full out every single week, you're going to blame yourself out. And so I also use this analogy and I've used it quite often with team members too. It's like, we're doing a marathon here, not a sprint. If you're going to burn yourself out like this, we're not going to be able to keep going. And so I think also that idea of like not pushing yourself to the extreme at every single moment, but rather, you know, doing, for example, uh, interval trainings once a week where you are pushing yourself out because that's a moment where it's worth it. Like that's another analogy that I think relates to it. And also being able to keep going when it's hard, but knowing the difference between discomfort and pain. Because when you run through pain, you end up it's in a worse good. place and it's the same growth. If there's something painful, you need to take a step back and work out why is this so painful. I love that. Right, and there's loads of other ones, but those I are the ones. And I would, to, to add to your analogy, because I had a LinkedIn post a few weeks ago. It's not even a marathon. It's marathon training. Yeah. It's really, because a marathon, anyone can walk for five or six hours. Not most people can. Yeah. And say it's a marathon, yeah. but the months of shin splints, the months yeah. of training, the months of pain when you don't want to do it but you do, and then yeah. knowing that you have to go slow this for a few weeks, I, I think that's yeah. the discipline. I, I yeah. really connect that with growth. Excellent, excellent. I, I love this answer. And uh, let's just once again remind people that December seventh, experimentation leads in London. Daphne will be there, talking about using failed experiments uh, as opportunities for growth and. Yeah. We didn't reveal way too much, but I think no, there's loads. There's still super exciting. Exactly. I'm still optimizing it too, so it's been. I re-recorded it today too Perfect. to like work back and uh, continue to work on it. So it's going to be yeah. I'm sure it's going to be, going to be incredible. Talk. I'm sure it's going to be incredible. So Daphne, thank you for uh, spending time with me on this podcast, uh, and to everyone me. listening, uh, thank you. Please consider rating, reviewing, and sharing this episode with someone who will find it useful. And I will talk to you next week.